Today on Ag News Daily. Some more what they call geographical indicators. Talked yep. about that with uh, like Greek yogurt and some of those things. They want to maintain some of those, and we're we're not interested in making scotch. We'll keep making bourbon. Thank you very much. So. <laughs> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is, gosh, it's already October 3rd here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, where did September go? Oh, boy, it went uh, went into the rearview mirror, Delaney, which is what every month does after between 28 and 31 days. I know, it just kills me. It went fast. It went fast, but it is currently like 80-some degrees, so it kind of feels like it's August again. I know. It feels nice. I like it. Yeah, I'm trying to soak up as much sun as I can before the darkness sets in of the (laughs) wintertime. That's true. Well, Delaney, let's see. We are going to have, well, I guess you had a good conversation with our fellow podcast brother, Clay Connery, who was Mm -hmm. out in D.C. this week, right? That's right. He was out there for the South Dakota Young Farmers and Ranchers, and they met with quite a few legislators, and so... Clay and I are going to discuss kind of what he heard from folks about health care, NAFTA 2.0, um, China trade war stuff, and of course, the Farm Bill, Mike. Yes, we're going to have to start with Farm Bill again, aren't we? Yes. And I have Well, do you some, have any updates? It sounded like... I do. Okay. I do have some Farm Bill updates. The four lead negotiators are going to hopefully meet tomorrow. Agriculture Chairman Mike Conway has requested that the House Agriculture people or the House Senate Conference Committee formally meet on Thursday, but it doesn't sound like it's going to get through before the lame duck session ends. Clay kind of alludes to this later in the interview, too, so I encourage you to stay tuned because he may have a little more insight than we do, but... Sounds like it's going to be a slow process moving forward. Okay. Well, you know, it's Washington, D.C. I think a slow process is expected. Hopefully, at least something gets done at the end of it. Yes, hopefully. But I don't... I mean, it it will get done at some point. When is the question? Well, yeah, right. Will it get done in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021? Yeah, when is uh, is often relative when it comes to things in D.C. Right. However, Delaney, things are not relative when it comes to a hurricane. It hits mm. you or it don't hit you. And we've got an update here from Hurricane Florence. As of now, total hurricane losses in, in the ag industry, so this is crop damage and livestock losses, in North Carolina's ag industry alone are set to top 1.1% billion dollars which when you compare it yeah when we compare it to uh past hurricanes most notably hurricane matthew which hit the state in 2016 north carolina ag sustained 400 million so it's almost triple Mm. what hurricane matthew caused just two short years ago which is tough tough to see gosh yeah that's a lot of damage done it sure is. And, you know, it's predominantly crops that, mm-hmm. that are where the damage comes into play. Most of the cotton crop was lost. A lot of the corn crop that was still standing was lost. Soybean crops are, well, I guess they're getting out trying to get them picked right now or get them cut. But, yeah, just does not look to be a pretty picture there in the southeast, Delaney. No, it certainly does not, Mike. Well, I've got some more updates here on NAFTA. And, Mike, I don't know if you saw this the other day. I know you follow 
oil news maybe a little closer than I do. About 36 hours after NAFTA 2.0 was announced, the, the Canada kind of, we'll say, challenged U.S. energy with the announcement made by Shell on Tuesday that Canada is setting itself up to become the U.S.'s biggest energy rival in supplying liquefied natural gas to Asia. Did you see this, Mike? I didn't, but, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I imagine they can probably crank quite a lot of LNG out of those tar yes. sands there in Alberta. Yeah, they said they're going to compete directly with U.S. LNG terminals on the Gulf Coast by being able to beat U.S. companies on the price of shipping fuel to customers in China, Japan, Malaysia, and South Korea. Uh, interesting. Well... Well, you know, there's so much infrastructure that has yet to be built to really supply that LNG. Gosh, that's just something we're going to have to keep an eye on. Yes, it will. However, I wanted to share one other piece of news I saw or was reading about today about NAFTA 2.0. That is good news for especially dairy producers, um, but really just anyone that works in kind of the dairy retailing side of things. Swiss mozzarella, Edam, Havarti, and Gouda cheeses are just some of a few cheeses that Mexico has agreed to ensure that the U.S. can still continue to use despite the EU's efforts to put pressure on Mexico to uh, restrict the use of those geographical indicators. So this agreement came apparently in the form of a side letter attached to NAFTA 2.0. And there are, those are just a few of the names that U.S. producers will be able to use. There are some cheese names, it sounds like, that U.S. producers won't likely be able to use when exporting to Mexico um, because the EU apparently did have a little persuasion power. Hmm, well, those dastardly Europeans and their <laughs> dairy Stephen sort of ways. You know, I tell you what, I think this is a win not just for American dairy producers, but it, it, it's actually a win sort of for international free speech. The idea that so long as what I'm producing, I produce in a way consistent with what consumers are expecting, I should be able to call it what consumers know. So I, I'd say that was a good a good move, certainly a, a big win all the way around for both the U.S. and I would say probably other cheese-producing countries long term. Yes, I think you're probably right because it just comes to play like what about wines? I mean, there's a lot of other foods besides cheeses that use what I would consider a geographical indicator. Absolutely. Delaney, you know you will never have champagne made in California? I know. That's weird, huh? It's all sparkling wine. I know. Champagne has to come from champagne, even though it's the exact same as champagne. Yeah. Well, I've got a little bit of an additional update here. Of course, we know that, uh, let's see, last week, the U.S. and South Korea officially re-signed the chorus trade deal of South Korea-United States uh, Free Trade Agreement. And Zippy Duval, current president of the American Farm Bureau, said, quote, renewal of our trade deal with South Korea is much-needed good news and help for our farmers and ranchers as the ag economy struggles. He said securing export markets for our products is critical, and we encourage the Trump administration to continue to push for conclusion of other trade agreements. Do you know, Delaney, offhand what the overall trade between the U.S. and South Korea is? Like a number? This was news to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. A couple hundred million? Okay. It is. 
So our trade deficit is, is what I should have said, oh, is okay. $9.8 billion. Yeah, that wow. was my bad. I, I worded it poorly. But without agriculture, um, it would be a lot worse. Ag has a $5.8 billion trade surplus with mm. South Korea. Interesting. Yeah, so pretty cool news there. We're, we're making some progress between NAFTA 2.0 and the Chorus Agreement. We're getting some things done. We are getting some things done. And as I reported yesterday, I believe it was, Taiwan was Taiwan officials were in Minnesota last weekend, made kind of a memorandum of understanding agreement that they would buy more soybeans. And they were in or have been in Iowa the past couple of days and traveled alongside Congressman Steve King. And an interesting quote here that Steve King shared in this article, he said, quote, in market share of the soybeans purchased by Taiwan is now moving up to 80 percent from the U.S., and it was a little closer to 50-50. The U.S. share has increased, and the lion's share comes from Iowa, so when there's more demand, well, we will see more grain, and that raises the market for everybody. So that's I didn't realize that this move would bring Taiwan soybean purchases up to 80%. That's a huge number. It is, and Delaney, you know, when you think about it in the context of the overall global trade flows, if China is gobbling up every bean from Brazil and Argentina, that means that typically that would have been the other 50% of Brazil right. purchase. Well, now they've got to look elsewhere, and so they're bringing that demand to the U.S. Yeah, it's uh, good news, I think, overall. It is good news, but it might not be enough. We had the latest Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer was released earlier today, and the reading for September, so the barometer measures overall how people are feeling about the ag economy. And uh, as of last month, the month of August, we were at 129. As of September, we were at 114, which is the lowest level since October of 2016. So mm. people in rural America generally aren't really feeling the love. We're not feeling the wealth. We're just kind of a little down at the heel, so to speak. I feel like the next round of the ag barometer might be a little more positive, though, because we've seen now chorus go through and NAFTA, theoretically, and all goodness should go through. So maybe we'll see that change the next round. I certainly hope so. You know what makes it change the most, though, Delaney, is when prices start to rally. Right. So if, if we can keep, you know, Monday's rally going here in the green mm -hmm. markets, and I saw that today we didn't, we didn't quite keep it sustained, but that would do the most to get things turned around. Well, one other thing that might turn some prices around would be the announcement of E15 year-round. President Trump is expected to visit Iowa next week. It's slated on his schedule and, of course, there's rumors trickling around that he is going to promise to lift the summer ban on higher ethanol blends of gasoline, including E15. Yay, hooray. This would be something <laughs> I would certainly be, be excited to see. I know, if me it too. Comes to pay, uh, to, it comes to pass. You know, Delaney, we've, I feel like we're kind of Charlie Brown and the Trump administration is Lucy holding the football. Every time we get fired up about they yank it away, and there's some kind of a, a challenge or a hiccup. So fingers crossed that maybe next fingers week crossed. is the week. We'll have to uh, – I think he's planning to visit Western Iowa, so we'll have to see if we can get in on the inside. Oh, yeah, he's going to Council Bluffs. I think, you bet. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, it is on Thursday. I think it's Council Bluffs. Yeah, we'll have to see if we can't uh, hop in the the Fly Ag News Daily Mobile here, the Lincoln, <laughs> and uh, cruise on over. Yeah, the Fly Lincoln. That's not really the words I would use to describe it, Mike. That's because you're a hater, Delaney Howell. <laughs> you're okay, a hater. Now you I've say. got just one other piece of news, and this comes back to something, Delaney. You have brought up quite a bit on the podcast, which is. Despite all of the talk we're having with China, particularly as it relates to agriculture, we haven't heard a lot from Terry Branstad, the U.S. Secretary or Ambassador to China. However, he did just write, it's a very, very long editorial, about the China Daily's recent ad purchase in the Des Moines Register. You know, they bought four pages there in the heart of the Des Moines Register to talk about how tariffs were going to hit farmers and how American farmers were paying the price for President Trump's trade war and Terry Branstad actually wrote an answer. He said mm-hmm. that China is disseminating its propaganda, and it's doing it by availing itself of America's cherished tradition of free speech and a free press, and it's doing that by placing this ad. They'll say what you find in China is that this ad was not played everywhere. In fact, one mm-hmm. of China's most prominent newspapers decided not to publish this, uh, I guess, ad from the Chinese Communist Party, and he said the, uh, the Trump administration is putting America and Americans first by calling on China to live up to its pledge. And he says that I want China to know that the U.S. and Iowa is a country and a state that sticks by its commitment to free trade, free speech, and a free exchange of ideas. So, yeah, I don't know that that's going to do us a lot of good with our cop talks with China, but it's nice to see uh, Branstad getting out there and, you know, getting out in front of the press. Yeah, that's good. I think he's kind of been behind the scenes for a long time. Yep, I think you're right. So maybe he's going to be a a little bit more active going forward. But Delaney, that does it for my news. Do you have any other news to uh, get out to the people? I don't, Mike. Should we hop over into the markets? Well, let's do it, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, harvest is underway. You can't be watching the markets every minute of every day. But our friends at Zaner do that for you. Give them a call. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, as I mentioned, we could not continue the rally from earlier this week. We've got red down the screen in the grains. Looking at the corn market, Dece corn down two and three quarters at 364 and three quarters. The March also off two and three quarters to close at 376 and three quarters. In soybeans, the November contract down four and a half cents at 861 and a half. January down four and a quarter, closed the day at 875 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, the December contract was down four cents at five fifteen and a quarter. The March down three and a quarter to finish at five thirty four and three quarters. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got red in the cattle complex today. In live cattle, the October contract down seventy seven and a half cents at one thirteen twenty. The December down a dollar oh seven fifty, closed at one eighteen forty. Looking at feeder cattle, front month October took it on the chin, down a dollar twenty on the day at one fifty seven eighty seven fifty. The November down eighty cents to close. 158.77 and a half. Mixed trade in lean hogs with the October up a dollar oh five at 67.47.50. The December down two dollars, closed the day at 57.15. And of course, a quick look over at the dairy market in Class Three milk. The October down 13 cents at 15.81, with November down 23 cents to wrap the day at 16.06. Without further ado, let's hear what is going on in Washington, D.C., as reported by our podcast friend, Clay Conry. 
catching up with Clay Conry today, who is actually the host of the Working Cows podcast, if you haven't checked it out yet. But Clay, you are also in D.C. this week for the Young Farmers and Ranchers trip. Tell me a little bit about the trip there. Yeah, it was a trip organized through the uh, South Dakota Young Farmers and Ranchers Committee, the statewide statewide leadership development pipeline for uh, Farm Bureau. So we were here kind of on a policy tour or trip to meet with our state delegations. We also met with the British Embassy and had some interesting talks with them about Brexit and kind of what they're looking to do. And also had some had an interesting meeting with a undersecretary of foreign trade uh, with uh, at the USDA, Jason Hoffmeister. So those were some of the meetings that we had, as well as all of our our delegates from South Dakota, or at least their offices. We met personally with Thune, Senator Thune, and Senator Rounds, and uh, we met with one of the people on staff with Christy Nome. She is back home in South Dakota campaigning for governor, so we hmm. didn't get to meet with her in person, but but we did get to meet with a member of her staff. So, Chloe, I want to start here with the Brexit deal. What were the sentiments at the British Embassy about Brexit and how that would affect trade with the U.S.? Right. So I kind of thought that the tagline of the British Embassy should be now featuring less British accents, which, <laughs> which was kind of disappointing to me. But uh, there, there, it's actually about, I think, 40% of the staff is actually from Britain. The rest of them are all Americans mm. uh, employed by the British Embassy. So we and and most of the staff were from Britain was on leave. So we met with um, we met with an American and talked to her, but she was very knowledgeable and very up on on all the things. And she had an email from her superior from Britain who just had a list of questions for us actually, and. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, kind of the timeline of Brexit, which sounds like March of 2019. It'll go into effect. And then I think, if I remember right, there's a nearly two-year delay on any new trade deals being ratified. Okay. But I think they can do negotiations for these trade deals, but they can't they can't go into effect for almost two years after mm. Brexit takes effect in March of 2019. Well, that doesn't so. seem like it would be that big of an issue because it feels like trade deals take that long to negotiate anyways. Exactly. Yep, that's very true. So, um, but I mean, there's 66 million people in uh, in Britain and Great Britain or in the United Kingdom, I should say. And so that's a, a big market to open up where we can negotiate directly with them, you know, and, and they're actually interested in learning about American agriculture and some of those things. And maybe we can move them off of some of the hardline stances they have on GMOs mm-hmm. and some of those things to open up trade trade routes for, you know, some of our uh, goods like soybeans and corn and, and some of those things to flow a little bit more freely around the world. So, hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Good thought but there. But that's the main advantage. Yeah. main advantage of Brexit is that you get to negotiate directly with the country right. and it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to go back through, through the EU. That's true. That theoretically should be a benefit for the U.S. at some point in time. That's the hope. You know, yeah. I think they've got some some more what they call geographical indicators. Maybe you've talked yep. about that with uh, like Greek yogurt and some of those things. They want to maintain some of those, and we're like, you know, we we're not interested in making scotch. We'll keep 
making bourbon. Thank you very much. So, uh, you know, that was, you know, so that that's kind of something that did come up. And I think they've got a, a desire to export some beef. You know, I don't know that that's going to be a big, a big hit in the States, but, you know, we definitely we can hopefully give them some education on, on corn and soybeans and see that mm-hmm. as a possible uh, future trade option. Absolutely. Clay, I'm looking through the agenda that you guys had this week. It looks like you also got to meet with the Health and Human Services to talk about the Affordable Care Act. I know health care in rural America is a big concern right now. What was the overall sentiment from that meeting? So that one actually did not, that meeting did not happen, oh, okay. but we did meet with Senator Rounds. We did meet with Senator Rounds, who is active in the healthcare sector, and, and um, I think he runs an insurance agency, and then also he has been working on policy here, or at least he used to be involved in insurance sales. So he was, you know, pretty pretty well familiar with those things and talked a little bit about policy and, and what they're looking to do on the Senate side uh, with the Affordable Care Act and, and some of the goals that they have there. So that was a, that was a productive meeting. Clay, did it him. did it feel like he understood the concern or the issue that a lot of farmers and rural Americans have with finding affordable health care? Yeah, you know, the the fact that basically we don't have the advantage of, of being part of a pool that can defer risk and, you know, that we need to to have a little bit better opportunity to bargain like, you know, a large scale business would when essentially we're self-employed and, and those are some of the struggles that that they have. Okay. So it feels it felt like it was definitely felt like he was understanding and listening to concerns that you guys shared with him. Yeah, definitely something that came up and and was yeah, he was on the same page. So. Good. Well, there's a couple other big things that happened this week, of course, NAFTA 2.0 is we're calling it on the podcast happened. What was it like there in D.C. to, I mean, you were there when this announcement was way, was made. What were the feelings? What was the word on the street? What were people sharing about it this week? Yeah, so we met with uh, the American Farm Bureau in the American Farm Bureau offices. We met with some of the people who are kind of involved in informing policy on Capitol Hill, and their perspective was, uh, basically, from the beginning, what they were shooting for was do no harm. Mm. That they wanted basically this USMCA, the U.S. Mexico Canada Agreement, to do no harm. They had to throw in that A because they couldn't use the the Marine Corps acronym. Yeah, so <laughs> the USMCA. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, they uh, they said do no harm, and they feel like they they got that. And then plus. The benefit, the added benefit, the maybe the biggest news out of the USMCA is the Class Seven milk yeah. news, and that that is being uh, taken away, or or at least it's it's something that definitely went the way we wanted it to, as far as American agriculture and, and dairy producers are concerned. So. Yeah, it felt like a big win for dairy producers. Um, did anybody this week at the Farm Bureau or elsewhere make any mention of? how quickly they thought Congress would vote on it or if there would be any holdup in Congress? Um, no, I don't think it didn't sound like it. You know, um, it was kind of the they had till midnight on um, technically Sunday night, I think, right, mm-hmm. to to come back with their answer. 
and they got their answer, you know, basically at the deadline. And that deadline was the the 30 days they announced the trade deal. 30 days later, they put they have to be able to put that trade deal in Congress's hands, and then they've got 60 days to vote on it. I think. And so it didn't sound like there was going to be a lot of uh, pushback or issues with it. You know, it sounds like it's a good deal that everybody's pretty happy with and they want to see it move forward. So I, th I think it's going to be a bu some bipartisan support, basically, like you said, NAFTA 2.0, uh, with the exception of um, the Class 7 milk thing. And, and that is a, a good thing, you know, that, that we got that clarified. So I think there's going to be support for moving it forward pretty on a timely in a timely manner yeah that's good that's what people like to hear clay i think we saved the best piece for last the farm bill we just had it run out over the weekend what's going on in congress what's going on in dc right now um you know it kind of got mixed mixed opinions some of the more op optimistic people thought that maybe they would get something done in on the senate side and and call congress back you know, uh, Chairman Conaway from Texas is, has stayed here in D.C. to continue to negotiate with Senate Democrats to try to make something work on the farm bill. And so it's it's um, not probably going to happen before midterm elections. Um, so it will probably get pushed, pushed out. And then in the lame duck session, there weren't there wasn't a lot of positivity mm. that that was going to get get pushed through in the lame duck session. But some people's, you know, depending on which way that that goes, you know, if the lame duck session stays with the with the current power structure, then there there might be there might be some opportunity to get it pushed through in the lame duck session. But if there's a big shakeup in the House or the Senate, then or in, in the House, sorry, then there might be might not be as much opportunity to get it pushed through in the lame duck session. So, did any of them mention any? pieces of the farm bill that might be different from the current farm bill? Um, you know, one of, one of the encouraging things that we heard as young farmers and ranchers is the uh, moving of the direct loan program up to 500,000 hmm. uh, from, from, or 450 or 500,000 from the current 350,000. So that was a really good uh, thing, you know, from our perspective as young farmers and ranchers to give people a little bit more realistic number to work with to start their farming operation or their ranching operation. So that was, that was one of the big things definitely uh, that, that we were inquiring about and, and hoping to see included. And, and it kind of sounds like that's going to be the direction they go in the new farm bill. So. Clay, were there any other big takeaways that you had from your time in DC over the past couple of days? Yeah, definitely. The meeting with Jason Hoffmeister was honestly one of the highlights of the of the meeting or of the the weekend. He talked a lot about ch trade with China, talked a lot about tariffs, talked a lot about what's the strategy here. You know, who's going to blink first, and, mm -hmm. and kind of the, those kind of things. And you know, it's pretty unpredictable. It's it's kind of uh, nobody really knows. Um, Xi Jinping seems seems to be a little bit of a of a wild card, or I I think seems to be a little bit of a return to, um, you know, a little bit older style of communism back back to the days of some of the previous regimes that we've seen, and 
And so uh, it was definitely an, a very interesting meeting. But at the same time, um, we're also opening trade talks with Japan. Uh, probably the biggest news that I think came out of this weekend was that Japan has agreed to come to the table on talks and that they have actually come out and said, we can't give you any better deal than we gave uh, Australia mm. in the TPP, which is really good news because that, I think, from as soon as if we got a trade deal worked out like China or like Australia has with Japan, it would take their it would take tariffs from 38 percent, which is what we have now, 38 percent right. tariffs with Japan. It would take them down to 19 percent immediately, and I think over the next five or ten years, it would it would take them down to 12 percent. Hmm. So it was that it was a really that was really interesting, and, and that's another large market of people that we could open up and immediately basically cut our tariff burden in half with that with that deal. So. Um, when they come out and say, in the beginning, <laughs> we can't give you a better deal than we gave Australia, that seems to be a good good starting point for sure. You know that we could get something even close, even approaching that. So yeah, that was encouraging news. That's very encouraging. We're gonna leave it on a high note then for everybody tuning in today. <laughs> uh, Clay Connery, thank you so much. Yep, thank you. All right. Well, again, a big thank you to Clay Connery there. And you can find his podcast, The Working Cows Podcast, on all podcast platforms. And he's going to be part of the Global Ag Network. And, Mike, we are getting really, really close to launching the network. I know. I'm very, very excited, Delaney. It seems every day we get a couple more emails from our web gurus. And every day, folks, gets closer and closer. Bookmark Global Ag Network in your browser right now so you're prepared when this thing goes live. But, Delaney... In the meantime, if listeners want to listen to other podcasts, where should they go? They can head to Facebook and Twitter to find us at Ag News Daily. They can also head to agnewsdaily.com to listen to any of our past episodes. But we encourage you to look at some of those other podcasts that are joining the network as well. With that, Mike, should we let the Absolutely. people go? Absolutely. Let's let them go.